Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. My name is Peter Englert. I'm one of the co-hosts of the show. We are here with our remarkable producer, uh, Nathan Yoder, and my stalwart cohort, co-host, cohort, co-host, yeah, both, something like that. Yeah, we were we were editing some audio, so we got to make sure we're clear. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, but uh, Aaron Mercer, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. It's great to be on this podcast with you, Peter. Hey, it is. And today, uh, I always love when we interview people from Browncroft. We're interviewing. Matthew Taylor, um, Aaron actually just got a copy. He has a book, uh, The Winner's Mindset. He wrote a chapter in there. Matthew is a friend. I've spent a lot of time with him. But the question that we're asking him to respond to is, why does my success hurt my relationships? So uh, I think uh, there's a lot of people that want this problem, and there's a lot of people that have had this problem, and they understand why it's a problem. I don't know. Yeah, no, I I really appreciate Matthew being on the podcast with us. It's going to be a great conversation. Uh, I know it it kind of uh, was sparked by a good message series we had this uh, past summer here at Browncroft, um, and uh, Matthew was able to preach at one of those. And it was you, you know you had a lot of great things to say. We're going to get into business Matthew versus what was it home Matthew or what was it again? I forget. I think it was just dealing with business, Matthew. We'll get the <laughs> there. We go. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, but uh, so I'm uh, really excited about this conversation. I think it's really important and applicable, no matter no matter what stage you're in. Um, so I also wanted to say, by the way, this is a signed copy of this book, and I'm very excited about that, Matthew. So, <laughs> but Matthew, could you uh, can you give us um, just a little bit of history on on you for our listeners? Um, how did you get here to Browncroft? How did you get to the point place where you were um, giving the the sermon? You were just you know just a short synopsis for us before we get into the rest of the conversation. Yeah, so maybe just some quick context in terms of so, you know, I've been married for nineteen years. I've got three kids. My oldest is a freshman in high school, and we have a set of twins that are middle schoolers. Um, my wife and I moved here about seven years ago from Denver, Colorado. And um, prior to that, Denver was really my home for about 15 years. That's where I met my wife. We had our kids, where sort of home base was. Um, and, you know, really before that, um, I grew up as a military brat. Um, and I say that because I spent most of elementary and middle school in Germany. And the brat part comes in when, you know, for me, it was normal to travel to Austria to go skiing or Spain to go to the beach <laughs> and that kind of stuff. So you get spoiled. And so, um, and I spent high school in Texas, and so, and that's where I also did my undergrad. And so, it was through those through those experiences, ultimately, I said, I don't want to live in any of those places. So I moved to Colorado, and that's where sort of life started for me. Um, and then, what brought us out here to Rochester was really just a recruitment call, and you know, an opportunity was presented to us, and really, God just made it really clear that we were supposed to come here, and we did. And so just through that experience and really that whole journey, um, you know, professionally, I've always been involved in, I would say, parachurch organizations, you know, either volunteering or supporting different organizations like FCA or just other things. And eventually got to know some of the leadership at Browncroft, begin to serve on the elder board. And then um, the pastor of discipleship approached me, you know, during the message series and said, yeah. hey, we think you've got a good story that may line up well with something we're trying to communicate. Wow, that's a 
that's a good synopsis. It's like you do this for a living. So, <laughs> well, I have to ask though. Oh, so, sure. you you fell in love with with Denver before? Does that make you a Broncos Avalanche? Is that is that your stuff or what's your? Have you adopted the Bills? We've adopted the Bills. All right, yeah. all right. Good. <laughs> of course, and, you're talking to a Patriots guy and a Jets guy, but <laughs> gonna have to watch out for the Jets. Yeah. Hey, you know, it's a story of my life. <laughs> So, you know, one of the things that I'm really curious about with you is you talked about growing up in a military family. You talked about the brat part about that. When, when is one of your first memories of whether you want to call it an ambition or drive for success? You know, when did you see that early, you know, say around six or 13 or something like that? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe I was a late bloomer. I don't remember it being that early. Um, I think it was more really, it hit me in college. I remember I was at Baylor and um, I think a really poignant event for me was, I remember Colin Powell was actually brought in to speak at the university and he spoke. And if you've ever heard him or had read anything he's written, he's just very articulate. He's a great storyteller. And I remember something he said in there, and this was really about his life. He said, he quoted um, Luke twelve forty eight: to whom much is given, much is expected. And for whatever reason, that really resonated with me in terms of just at that point, I'd sort of recognized and learned and met a lot of people in school where things that were normal for me, again, back to the military brat thing, I thought everybody did that stuff. I thought everybody spoke a different language. Like those things were just normative. And so I realized, wow, I'd been given at 18, I'd done a lot of things that most adults had never done. Hmm. And I felt that impressed upon me. So I think that's where... That's the first time I can point to of thinking back to say, hmm, I have some ambition and some drive. So I want to I want to kind of lean on this just for a second, because a lot of times when we hear about people feeling like they want to have success in their life or a drive to do that there, there's like a parent who like pushed them to the limit or someone that they want to prove well, yeah. like you don't necessarily have that what you say is, you know, I woke up at 18, heard Colin Powell, felt like I had a ton of responsibility based on that. I don't know. You're shaking your head a little bit. So maybe yeah. there's a little bit more to the story. Well, so as you as you say that, I'm like, well, that's not true for me in terms of it wasn't that wake up at 18. Um, you know, I, I think back to um, actually one of the stories that I tell sometimes is it's it's kind of ironic that we live here in Rochester because I've been coming to the area since I was six years old. So my aunt and uncle, they raised their family here in town. They had a lake house down in Lake Canandaigua. And so because we were moving around quite a bit, we would rendezvous here during the summers in Lake Canandaigua, and we would sit out, and we all joke about this today. They had a picnic table at the end of the property on the lake, and Uncle Wynn would grill us about our study habits and how we were keeping notes and all these different things. And, you know, it was like, I mean, for dinner time, we were kind of anxious to go down to dinner because we we're, I mean, literally would get grilled by him. And at the time, we didn't like it. Um, but it's really interesting because later on, I think about how, in a way, I think that was his way of demonstrating his love for us. He wanted us to be successful. You know, he was very intentional about those conversations. And and um, I've seen it with my kids in terms of he'll correct your grammar with them. They're like, oh, that's Uncle Wynn, you know. <laughs> um, so even back then, it's six years old. Um, he was instilling some traits in us um, 
even though, you know, I was his nephew, um, you know, back then. And I still remember that. Hmm. Wow. No, that's, that's cool to, to think back on, on those moments, um, as a child, uh, and, and also hearing about your, <laughs> the, the college, the college wake up. Um, yeah. It'd be pretty cool to. I I never actually heard Colin Powell speak in person, but I know there's a lot of good stuff out there to read for sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know what? Uh, you you kind of had that wake up moment, and then you know what what was your next step after that? You, I know you you told us a little bit about your journey to to Colorado with your family, mm-hmm. or you built a you know built a home there. Yeah. Um, but what was, you know, when you were woken up, in terms of you wanted to pursue success, um, whatever that looks like, you know, what did, what were the next steps for you? How did you define what you were going to go after and what, how did that set your trajectory? Yeah. I mean, at that point really, so I started college with the idea of, I wanted to play baseball. So I did that at a small university and, um, was redshirted my first year and did that. And, uh, basically saw through the experience of others and sort of who they were in contact with that I was probably going to go a lot farther with my brains than my brawn. Hmm. So I was also interested in medical school. So then at the time I transferred to Baylor, which was a good preparatory school for medicine and got into that. So that, that's sort of how I thought I was going to be successful was to do that. Well, getting certified as an EMT over the summer, kind of trying to, you know, muster my way through chemistry really helped clarify that that probably wasn't going to be a pathway for me. (laughs) Um, So then I was, then I looked at, well, okay, I speak German. I've got all this experience. Um, I went and I interned with an organization in Washington, D.C. for the summer. And so I did that and I sort of pursued an idea of going into the foreign service, you know, working for the State Department. And again, that experience, lots of different things happened there. Um, I decided that wasn't for me. So I'm really good at trying stuff and figure out what I didn't like to do. <laughs> so at that point, I really needed to graduate, um, you know, out of necessity because it's expensive and got some good coaching from a mentor of mine. And um, he really he really sort of opened up a pathway for me to go into business. So that really seemed to make a lot of sense. I could finish that within four years. And I did that and I immediately followed that with an MBA through the University of Memphis. And so that was an international program, um, one year based in Memphis and then the other um, nine months of the program was based for me, it was in Germany, um, where I got to work and study you know, for a German company in the German university. Mm. And so that was an exposure to sort of help me um, begin to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and, you know, it was getting into business. And so after that, I got into consulting, which was, again, kind of a lightweight step to figure out, okay, um, where could I learn just basic skills that are good, kind of regardless of what industry you go into, and then kind of go from there. So that that's kind of where it started for me. So what, it, what I love about you kind of telling the stories, you're kind of painting a picture of why this question's important. Um, I'd encourage all of our listeners. We actually interviewed a good friend of yours, Jeff Miller. Yeah. He his question was, "Why is my ambition so obnoxious?" We probably could have switched titles and you know landed at the same place. What it, what I guess I'm curious right now is um, he and I used to work for the same company, by the way. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which company was that? Uh, at the time, it was AMS. Um, it then got bought by a publicly traded company called CGI. But yeah, we've. 
we've done the name game and sort of walked back and who who do we know when that kind of stuff. Oh. Well, make sure you you all listen to that episode. It probably pairs nicely. So, you know, our question is is why does success hurt my relationships? You know, I love kind of the way that you're framing it because I wouldn't say you are climbing, you were climbing the corporate ladder, but it seemed like there was intentionality. You had some really good people. You know, when when in that process did you realize that maybe your relationships weren't on full cylinders or, you know, even it sounds too like a lot of what you were doing, you're kind of going out, you're going to Germany, you're going to Memphis, you're going to Texas. Like, when did you start realizing that some of this success was hurting your relationships? Yeah, and I just want to jump in there too. I think that I'd, I'd love to hear the answer to that question, but also like, because a lot of what I've heard so far, it sounds like a kind of a trial trial and error. You're, you're, you're learning about what you want to do for your career, which, I, you know, I don't think a lot of people would see that as a, a bad thing necessarily. So where, where did it become, to, to Peter's point, where did it start maybe not being what you were hoping for or you started to see an alarm bells or something. Is that, yeah. Peter, kind of where you're going? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I think I'll answer it both ways. One is, you know, I, I remember vividly going to school with people, particularly in the MBA, because there's people who go there for different reasons, mm -hmm. and you get the people who come in, hey, I want to be the CEO of my own firm, or I want to be this level in X number of years. I never was like that. I just knew that I needed more education and more experience. And that really continued and persisted into my professional career, where for me, I, and I still say today, there's I can't point to an, um, a C-suite job, whether it's the CEO, marketing, finance, whatever, and say, well, that's the role I want to be, and how do I get to that role? For me, it was always, I want to continue to learn and grow and really push myself and just see where I can add value and increase my influence. and do that in a way that I'm okay with the trade-offs that I have to make in that process. Mm -hmm. And so that was really important for me. And I think there are times certainly where it was like, well, okay, I'd really like to make it to director or senior director or whatever particular level. Um, but then as soon as that happened, you're like, oh, okay, that's not where it's at. Mm -hmm. And I think that leads to the second question or the your question, Peter, which was really, you know, when did I realize it was starting to impact my relationships and it was really um so Sherelle and I were married at this point a couple years um our son was nine months old and I had an opportunity to move from Denver to San Diego so the president of the region out there I had worked with her in Colorado so she invited me to come out there and you know we did and we were wined and dined in San Diego, you know, the weather's great. And everybody we talked to was like, oh my gosh, you've arrived. It was like, this is just the glimpse of heaven. And we got out there and I remember it was probably around this time um, in November that we were there and I was sitting in my office and I had a nice view of like these eucalyptus trees. And I was like, man, this is miserable. I mean, and I, and I could not figure out why, cause I, and I literally sat there and I was like, okay, so I'm making six figures, which is what I thought was going to be the case. And okay, that's more than my parents ever made, as far as I knew. Um, I made the director level. I have all these things. I live in San Diego. I'm like, check, check, kid, family. And it was just like going through the list. I'm like, and we're the most depressed and miserable that we've ever been. Hmm. And we really did not like San Diego. Um, and it. I think that was when it was like... Um, 
you know, while I had accepted faith in college, I think that was sort of the start of the next chapter for me, which was really to begin to say, okay, um, I hadn't yet submitted to God. And I think that's really was what started that process. Hmm. Let's, let's dig deep. Cause I mean, in the chapter of winner's mindset, you talk about this and you've told me, so I, when you started dating Sherelle, mm-hmm. um, for those of you, maybe someday we'll have her on this podcast, who knows, but, she's uh, the better half, so. <laughs> but, um, you are two very strong individuals. And, uh, just from hearing this, like she had some perceptions about you when you were dating, um, I don't know. I just, I think it would be helpful for our listeners to get a little context. Yeah, that's probably a whole nother thing. I mean, um, you know, I'll, I'll maybe say it in like a couple different ways. One is, you know, when I first met her, um, you know, just in full transparency, she did not like me like that initial introduction, um, just that first piece. And then, um, it didn't change after I got to know her. You know, we sort of met at a church community and we were in similar circles of friends. And, you know, um, I would say she tolerated me, but, you know, <laughs> it wasn't like there was no interest in terms of mutual interest. And it wasn't really until I had moved away and um, was in Australia for several months before, you know, there was any, any hint of a relationship, friendship or otherwise that that started to spark. Um but, but even then, I mean, I think she was aware that I think there was a way, again, this goes back to the kind of the business Matthew thing in terms of just perceiving how I thought I needed to show up in the world, particularly in the business setting. But I think even outside of that, of being put together and organized and, um, you know, hey, everything's in order. And it was like, eh, you know, people, you know, they didn't really like that person. Mm. What didn't they like? Um, I, I think there was no room for grace, um, no room to really like sort of be comfortable in like who they were. So, you know, and I think I said this in the sermon where I was like, you know, um, sort of business Matthews, like, you know, shoes may be shiny and may be perfect, but like nobody wants to invite him to their pool party. Mm. So they'll sort of deal with them and tolerate them for like some things, um, but not really like want to hang out or kind of be relaxed around the individual. And, mm-hmm. you know, the the kids used to say, um, hey, dad, you're like the president of business from like the Lego movie. So those <laughs> of us who's like, hey, you got to be perfect. And so when your, you know, eight-year-old daughter is telling you you're like president business, um, that was a good cue for me to say, I don't want to be like that guy. So wow, <laughs> <laughs> that comparison. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking of present business with the, the what was the crackle? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So what's what did that uh, you know when when you started getting that message from your kids or fr- uh, from your wife? What sort of what impact did that have on personal Matthew to start with, uh, and then how did that start to affect business Matthew? Well, I I think. It, you know, I learned to get curious, I think, in a healthy way and just realize because, you know, what was interesting for me and I think, you know, whether it was through friends like Jeff or other people or counselors even, um, just recognizing that, that that wasn't who I was outside of work. Mm. You know, that was really kind of a business 
thing. And that was how I thought I needed to succeed. And I think the hard part for me was, um, you know, if I look at how I was promoted, the opportunities I was given, the assessments, the raises, all those things, it kind of reinforced all those things. So it was to say, okay, well, hey, when I operate this way, I get reinforced and rewarded in this way that, you know, is good and nice. Um, but it's ultimately not as effective. And I think that's where where I start to learn was that, you know, I wasn't that way outside of work. Um, and then I really didn't have to keep sort of the two worlds like separate. Um, and it was just that that wasn't a healthy thing for me because um, it felt like I did have almost like two sides of, okay, well, this is how I had to show up here. This is how I was here. And it was kind of, I wouldn't say exhausting, but, you know, it was just, it wasn't natural. Hmm. So our listeners are probably listening to you and uh, you just come across very kind, um, thoughtful, articulate. There, uh, Even in your voice, there's kind of this um, intentionality and like a healthy, um, you don't talk fast like I do. Like I talk really fast. So, you know, help us understand like Matthew from even 10 years ago or three years ago, like, did you have the same demeanor or like, cause what you're kind of painting is, you know, when you turned 18, you felt this responsibility. There might be some anxiety with that. But then like, even as you talk about dating Sherelle, getting married and your kids, like there seems to be, I'm picturing we're going on vacation to Florida. Dad's got his checklist of where we're supposed to go. He actually just took all the fun out. Like, is that what it is? Or like what? <laughs> um, Sherelle's got the checklist. Um, <laughs> but not for, not for um, just to be clear, not for like, okay, here's the things we got to do, but more just not wanting to forget stuff. Mm. Um, so she's the organized one there. Now, I think, you know, so I think it starts back in terms of, you know, I wouldn't say I grew up in like a really strict household because, I, you know, when people hear the military and they think of Marines, it's like that. But I would say that my parents were, you know, you know, we had rules and that kind of stuff and it was followed. Um, but then I, I think even like back to my where I came to faith at Baylor, I often think about um, I remember going into that environment. I had spent a lot of time in the church because um, we went to church growing up, but I never really had a relationship but even when I got there, there was this whole other world of vocabulary and music and just vernacular that I had never heard before. And Baylor University has a, you know, kind of a unique Southern Baptist representation of it, which felt very strict. And yet I would see people, you know, in these very strict kind of um, legalistic ways in one way. And then at night, you know, at the party, I'd see them in different ways. And so... I think for me, like my German upbringing, um, all those things, you know, I'm definitely more of a rule follower, um, you know, that kind of things. Hey, this is, uh, I remember quoting, uh, I think it was a movie with Tom Hanks, where he was coaching women in baseball and they were starting to cry. And he's like, there's no crying in baseball, <laughs> you know, and I kind of had that mentality at work. I'd be like, how can you cry at work? Like, this is business. Like, it didn't even compute to me that you could cry at work for any reason. Mm. Um, and so when people would do that, I would just be like, it just would not resonate with me at all. 
And I would even think, and this was before kids, just um, really having no empathy for people with kids and having people who reported to me, you know, they'd say like, oh, you know, my kid, something happened or whatever, they got sick and I'm late. I'm like, like, get your stuff together, man. Like, come on, be here and on time. And just, it was like, this is work. This is what you do. Like, there's just no questions. Mm. And I was very rigid, I think, in that and just almost absolutist in in those things and just didn't really have a lot of emotion um, because I just didn't think it was effective. And so if it wasn't effective, then it's like, we don't need that, period, end of story. And so that's how it came across. Mm. You, as you've, um, you know, as you've shared stories like that and, you know, ways that you have been uh, changed over the years and how you, you, you may have acted in the past, like, I'm sure that that's, those stories have resonated with, with other people. Um, and they, you know, I, I'm, you know, I, I have to imagine there's a lot of people who, who feel like either they just do or they have to put on a different face in their work life versus their home life or church life or whatever, you know. Um, what do you find that uh, when you're talking to people, do you find similar stories are coming to you? And then, you know, what are some, if you do, what sort of recommendations do you give to them for like a, a next step they should take to try to try to fix that? Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know. I think the buzzword that I hear a lot today is, you know, just authenticity mm. and what's that look like. And I think that's easy to say. And then I think it's hard to really sort of, I don't know, materialize or really how does it show up? And I think that's where for me, like the the construct or the dichotomy between like business Matthew and not was really, it was like the, the business Matthew wasn't really authentic. You know, that was just the way that I perceived that I needed to show up and be. And so the challenge is, is that, you know, there are good reasons in terms of why I thought I needed to show up that way, you know, in situations where there's high ambiguity or whether I wasn't sure about the outcome or I wasn't sure about, you know, who else is at the table. Mm -hmm. And so as you raise the stakes, you know, now you've got, you know, CEOs of organizations or whatever it is, you know, whatever raising the stakes for you, it's like, okay, that would be more pressure to, to fit in, okay, well, this is how I need to show up and I need to be this prepared and this organized because I want to make sure that I am, you know, in control of as much as I possibly can be to show up well versus, you know, so that it can work um, and it can be successful, but it's not very endearing and mm. it's not it's not easy to be around because it's a high stress. And so mm. that's where I think for me, it's just almost like, one of the things I often will say to people is just, okay, you know, let's talk through like if I'm coaching somebody or something and they're talking about a specific situation, um, sometimes I'll have them contemplate like what's the worst thing that can happen, you know, for this situation they're thinking about and, you know, whether it's okay, they're trying to pitch something to their boss or whatever. And it's like, okay, well, fast forward and go there. So what happens? You know, it completely fails. You know, what, ha you know, what does that look like? And they're like, oh, okay. And so, you know, we work through and rarely is it, you know, I'm going to be fired. Um, I'm going to lose my family. You know, rarely is it ever anything that's like significant. Hmm. So then once people get to that place, then it's working back and say, okay, well, what do you think you really need to say there? And what would that look like? And how do you do that in a way that um, is authentic for you? You know, it uses your words and the things that you're comfortable saying 
um, and it's true and helpful, you know, with that situation. So that's a really good. Um, I want to get to one of, you know, because if people read this book and I'm going to encourage them to read your chapter, um, there is, you know, you talk about a worse situation. But before I kind of get there, you know, the reason why I keep coming back to Sherelle and the kids is yeah. a lot of a lot of our listeners like there there feels like there has to be this choice of career or family. So they might delay marriage. They might delay having kids. They might do that. So can you like, it sounds like to me, um, and, and hear me out listeners, it's almost like you've had two different, two to three different marriages to the same one, like just the chapters of your life. Um, so like walk us through at some point, Sherell made a decision to like, he's not as bad as I think he is. Right. And then there's <laughs> hopefully more than that. Right? And then, and then there's San Diego. I was a fast mover. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> you got um, the deal. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I guess kind of bring us up to speed with that story, because when you talk about success, you talk a lot about Sherelle and the kids, yeah. you know, how did you start dating? How did each marriage season, did you change kind of professionally and in your family? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a fast mover. I mean, just to, to put it out there, I mean, we, we had been in the similar friend circles again. I went to Australia for nine months. That was a really maturing experience for me professionally, individually, spiritually, just because it was, um, I was pretty isolated. And so that was in it and it helped me to begin to relax, I think, as a human being. And it was really because of some of the relationships that I had with some of my Australian friends who actually didn't know God, was not interested at all. And they were the most loving people that I've ever met to this day. And it just really rocked my idea of, um, you know, so that was an important event in my um, adult life. Mm. And so when I came back, Shrill and I had known each other um, in terms of at least friend circles. And so by the, from the time that we started dating to got married, you know, it was nine months which, you know, for my grandparents wasn't a big deal because you never got engaged back then. I mean, you didn't have this, you know, long planning. Um, but for the first few years, you know, I was I was on travel. So I think that helped for us because um, Sherelle was finishing her master's degrees. I was on travel a lot. So we um, it reduced the amount of time that we spent together. And when I was home, you know, it was very focused, like on the weekends. Um, so that was really good. And I think that helped us, especially because at that point we had both had a professional life um, and we were learning how to, you know, really be around someone else, you know, in a marriage relationship. Um, and she's, you know, she's a really strong woman. You guys, you know, I know Peter knows her, um, definitely very articulate. And she's always been, you know, super authentic with me in terms of just very blunt um, in a direct way that I find I appreciate because I don't have to... Um, you know, translate or do any kind of mystical, like how is she feeling? So that's really easy for me. Um, you don't, I don't, you don't need to decipher anything. Not at all. <laughs> <clears throat> not at all. So, and I think she's growing as well in terms of just where we were with the family. Um, and I think even with San Diego, that was something where, you know, while I might've been wrestling with that professionally in terms of getting those things that we wanted, um, you know, she was also, you know, we had a, 
a child that was new and it was like, well, this is a lot harder than we thought. And so I think we kind of went through some of those stages together. Um, and then even really what led us to here, because we were in Denver, you know, living in Colorado and, you know, successful sort of, you know, if, from the world standards, if you will, you know, we had a nice house. Um, she was the household CEO, uh, you know, all things were nice and it was but like we just weren't we were really feeling like there was something else for us um and so that's what made it easier certainly for god to call us out here to rochester so mm. i'm not sure i answered no your you question. you answered it really well okay. so it, it sounds like there's been moments in your life whether it's australia that like sherelle sensed a humble a humility um which kind of you've actually picked up right so you moved here to rochester for an initial job that didn't have a great ending you've been very transparent yeah. and authentic you know why don't you share the circumstances around that but then also like you've articulated that you've changed because of that experience so the circumstances but also how you've changed from that circumstance yeah yeah, and I mean, I think part of the process, too, just before I get there, is that <clears throat> I think what's interesting for me, I'll say both from a faith perspective, but then even just from a maturing perspective as a human, is just the benefit and the blessing of being married and having kids. So having being married was one level of maturing and sort of dealing with selfishness and those kind of things. And then having three kids was a whole other level <laughs> Um, which, you know, I never anticipated. So I'm really grateful for those. And um, so that that's something that, you know, I'm not who I am today without having gone through that experience. Um, you know, with the, the professional opportunity that brought me here, you know, I was recruited to um, as an executive to sort of lead a um, division of the organization, did that for nearly four years, and then and was, you know, rewarded and um, you know, recognized throughout that time period. And, you know, all my reviews were above performing, you know, so thought I was doing well. And I went in uh, December 11th and I, my boss was there and was mutually separated, you know, from the organization, which is, you know, the legal term for basically they decide, hey, um, they fire you. So they no longer need your services. There's all sorts of reasons a company can do that, you know, from the fact that they just don't like the fact that you're a Patriots fan <laughs> or a Bills fan or whatever, or any other reason. And so um, I was, you know, shocked by that. So as I sat there, um, you know, in the office with the HR person, my admin was getting my personal stuff and bringing it down and just trying to process that. And, um, you know, I think the way that I explained it then and I often do now is um, when my son got home from school that day, you know, we, um, you know, we told him and he was like, why? And I said, well, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you got friends who just decide that don't want to play with you anymore and you don't really understand why, but they're just done. And I was like, that's, that's kind of the way it was. Mm. And so um, that was impactful for me because again, I thought, that I had been doing, again, in the construct of Business Matthew, like those things, and to be separated, to go through that experience, you know, that was a direct affront to that. And so um, I think part of that, what led up to that experience was really, as I was becoming 
more comfortable trying to express, I think, who I really wanted to be, it fit less and less with that environment because that environment really wanted business Matthew. That's what they hired. Mm -hmm. But I think as time went on, I became less comfortable showing up that way. And I think that's ultimately where, you know, we got to a place where he said, you know what? Um, yeah, let's end this. So did your, did your leading up to that moment with your business and then, uh, and then afterwards, after, um, you know, you, you were let go, you know, did your, did your definition of success change did it, for you to be successful? Did that, did that change? Is it, I mean, I kind of hear that you saying that who you, who they hired and who you wanted to be had changed. Yeah. So maybe it was actually something that was coming. Yeah. Um, but how did your how did what changed exactly and that that's what i'm trying to get at did your definition of success for yourself change i think it did over time you know i think it was it was sort of over time and all at once hmm. right in terms of you hear that phrase where um, again back to the idea of uh, what i talked about in san diego of really beginning that process of submission you know probably 10 12 years before and sort of starting that journey slowly and then I would say accelerating at the end in terms of in that position of just realizing, okay, as I try experiments of doing these things and saying, okay, well, this is how I'm going to try this situation, or this is how I'm going to try and show up here. It's like, okay, well, that resonates more with who, who I'm supposed to be in that moment. And then, and then have that satisfaction and that peace internally, but then have that dissonance with you know maybe others in the organization but saying well that's i'm okay with that not because i'm arrogant or rude or because i don't care about what they think but that's just okay they can have that opinion and i can still be okay mm. you it, know <clears throat> as i'm listening to your story um you know it's so it's weird to talk about like i you know i got um I had a mutually parting with a company that I used to work with, you know, and it's even weird for me, even though it's been like almost a decade or so or longer, it's even weird to say like I got fired. And, yeah. you know, I wonder if I had been through it when I was your age, you know, just older, what that experience would have been like, because, you know, I literally, and there's still a part of me that still thinks it's the worst thing ever mm. because it was like, I was given everything that I had to it. Um, you know, I didn't necessarily like the work that I was doing, you know, in the sense of like, you know, what I'm doing now is what I feel like I'm called to do, but, um, it's just, it's a hugely humbling, like, cause I mean, people ask you like, you know, what are you doing right now? I, I still remember the first Sunday I saw you Yeah. and I was like, Hey Matthew, how you doing? And you said to me, you're like, yeah, I just got fired. Uh, like you just, <laughs> you know, it was just, and I think that that's been refreshing because this is a topic that like you feel, I still feel embarrassed about it. Mm -hmm. Like I still feel like, and I, I like kick myself cause you even before we started this episode, you talked about, um, you're like, I should have saw it coming. There was a few scenes and stuff like that. And I go back to what our original question, why does success hurt my relationships? Yeah. I think about how I was so, you know, 
I was depressed. I was more anxious. And, um, you know, I'll kind of close with this. My favorite player coached my favorite basketball team. Um, so my favorite player is Steve Nash coaching the Brooklyn Nets. At the time of this recording, he got fired. And I'm sitting there trying to rationalize, like, and there's a whole other topic with that. But, you know, and a lot of the, the tweets have been like, he was given a gift that he doesn't have to coach this team. Mm. So I don't know. I'm just, I'm kind of processing with you because yeah. it does something to your relationships that no other experience does. Yeah, it is. And I'd say, you know, there's two things that I think really came out of it. And one was, um, I was really fortunate to be surrounded by people who I think just asked me good questions and supported me. Mm. And one of those was a friend of mine. Actually, this was a guy, his name was Bert. Um, he was previously a vendor who's trying to sell stuff to me, you know, in my previous role. And I, and I just had a relationship with him. And I remember calling him and talking to him. And um, when I told him what had happened, his first response was he was so excited for me. And I was like, Bert, are you crazy? <laughs> and he's like, no, he says, I am so happy for you that you got this one under your belt. And, you know, you make me sound old because I'm 45 now. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, he goes, Matthew, you know, at some point, I actually think if you're at a certain level and you haven't been fired, I wonder if you're really doing your job right. Hmm. Are you wow. asking the right questions? Are you leaning in enough to things? You know, are you, or are you just going with the status quo and trying to protect what you have? And that totally reframed my way of looking at it, um, for one. And then just, I think the second thing was just really recognizing, and this is something that I have been learning increasingly. And I think this is some of what I write in the chapter, um, is really, for me, there's always this opportunity we have when we come to situations where, um, and this really comes from Morgan Snyder. He says, you know, we either bring our question to the situation or we bring our strength. Our question is, okay, if I show up in this way and it's good, you know, I get the validation from the people, the listeners, whatever. And, you know, but you're really giving your question out there for other people to answer versus hey, I'm going to do the best that I can do. I'm going to bring my strength to a situation. And then whatever the outcomes are, like, that's okay. I'm okay with what those outcomes are. And I think that's where, you know, getting fired and going through that experience, it was like, hey, that's not the verdict on me. Hmm. That doesn't mean anything about me. And I think that was just, you know, that was probably the worst thing that I could imagine that would happen to me. And it was like, well, that happened. I'm like, that doesn't say anything about me. And so that's where I think now it's like having gone through that. Now I look back three years later from that conversation with Bert. And I'm like, I am really glad that I went through that. Because now I can go into situations and say, hey, you know what? This may not be really popular. And, you know, um, you may be really upset with me. But just because you're upset doesn't mean I'm wrong. Mm. And, you know, I'm going to say this as nicely and professionally as possible, but here's what it is and be okay with that. Um, and that's really kind of freeing. And again, not in a way that's arrogant, but just in a way that's genuine of like, look, man, I'm going to try the best I can. And that's okay. I love, I love that, um, 
a lot of the points you just said, even the idea of your, you know, your, what's the worst that can happen? And you, you mentioned, well, the worst that you could have imagined happening happened and, and, you know, you got through it. God got you through it. Right. Um, and, and the lesson there is your self-worth doesn't come from the work that you're doing. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, I can certainly resonate to you. Uh, Peter knows he, and he, one of the, I think the first podcast you had me on a long time ago, we talked about, I was also in a situation where I was laid off and that's a, it's a, it's a tough, uh, it's a tough time. And it's just definitely something to process. So I guess our listeners should know that, Hey, it's not the worst thing in the world. You learn a lot of good lessons. What? So, so Matthew and I have done a lot of talking. What do you think the biggest thing you learned from facing a layoff was? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I really resonated and I actually resonated a lot, uh, Matthew, when you, when you preached, uh, this last summer, um, your, again, the self, uh, worth self identity, you know, I think, cause I believe the series was created for what yeah. you created for. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I always, um, I think I often tried to think that my identity wasn't, wasn't my work, but that was definitely a. Um, it was a, a shocking moment. It was a humbling moment. Um, like you said, it's, it's hard, Peter, even to, to think about it sometimes. Um, but that's not where your worth is. Your worth is God makes you, gives you your worth. Um, God knows your name and, uh, that's, it's not the, not the end of the story, you know, and, and God can use those things. I mean, if, if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't be a Brown, I wouldn't be in Rochester right now. So, um, I, so I think that's a big lesson, Peter, to answer your question. Um, but I am, so I wanted to, I guess, follow up, uh, Matthew, with uh, what you said too. You know, I love that you were learning about your your worth, not that your worth was bigger than just what the business wanted you to do and what it was rewarding you with. Um, but how do you, you know, how do you manage kind of the tension of, um, you know, here, let me say, let me put it this way. How, how is striving for excellence different from striving for success as my, maybe the world puts it? Like, is, is there something we should still be, we should be trying to um, try to attain, try to, you know, what's, what's the right heart attitude there? What's, mm -hmm. what's that pursuit look like in a good way? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, I don't know. When I get stuck, you know, part of my answer is like, well, okay, um, what do you get when you pray about it? So that's mm -hmm. like kind of one answer. Um, another answer, and I'll maybe kind of bring this home with the title of the podcast is because this was something I was thinking about is, you know, how does, why does success hurt my relationships? And so, um, you know, this past year and change, I've been serving on the elder board here at Browncroft. And I was um, had the pleasure of serving in the vice chair role and was invited into that and really had a lot of fun with that. And um, it was a great learning experience in terms of getting to work with the chairman and just in different capacity. Um, and I don't think I realized at the time just how much work was involved, not necessarily hours or meetings, but really more. I think for me, it was a lot of mental processing of just thinking about things um, throughout the day, okay, I got to make these phone calls, those kind of things. And so long story short, got to a point where our year calendar for the church begins in October. 
And so we were coming through this season in the summer and sort of working through, okay, who's going to take up different leadership roles going into that new season? Um, I was talking with the chairman about what that was going to look like. Maybe was I going to be chairman or continue as vice chairman, all these different things. And um, lots of different ideas being put around. And long story short, I, I began to really pray about it. And as I was praying about it, and I even had a conversation with the family, um, there's two things that came to mind. One was we were playing this game um, as a family, and I'm not going to mention the game, but uh, it's a fun game. And the teams, the teams of the game were like Team Mad and Team Glad. And we were playing, and the kids were like, Dad, you should be on Team Mad. You know, and I was like, what? You know, like, I can't believe they say that. And then, <laughs> and then like the next day, but I'm like, well, you know, we're encouraging them to speak their mind. So it's not surprising. And then the next day I went into, um, I had to drop off my mountain bike. So mountain biking for me is a passion and a thing I like to do. And I know the owner of the store and Rob was, he's like, man, where have you been? And I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, dude, you're normally in here like three or four times by this point, And you just got a new bike in November and you haven't been in here in a while. Mm. And it was sort of those two things. And I thought about it. I'm like, for me, that was a check engine light of like, hey, these are very subtle things relationally. That was like something's going on. Mm. And it was in the season of praying about God, should I be serving in a different position? And I think I had the opportunity to do that. And I think I would have been supported legitimately, but I really felt like it was very clear to say, no, I'm going to set that down. And I think for me, um, listening to those subtle signals was to say, okay, I could have been more, you know, successful, right, and do that. But that was clearly impacting my relationships. Mm. And so a month, you know, on this side of that decision I'm beginning to see like just sort of um, how that's been beneficial, both for me individually, but also my relationships of just having more margin in the schedule. And I can go to lunch with Peter and not have to schedule it out six weeks in advance, you know, or just go coffee, you know, things like that. So I'll go back to what I said earlier, which is to me, you know, there's things that I'm interested in doing and there's still things I want to do and contribute and expand. And I think I'm just really mindful of, you know, what are the trade-offs that I have to make in doing so? So as I say yes to something, you know, what are those things that I have to say no to? And really be honest about that, because that's hard. Mm-hmm. Let's, uh, our time is on really fast. Um, we're definitely going to have you back on. Maybe we should have you and Jeff and, yeah. you know, that'd be really fun. Yeah, so. the, you can have the men's group. <laughs> <laughs> um so two last questions that the first question is this, um, if you could go back to 24 year old Matthew and have a conversation, you know, specifically about success and relationships, what do you think you would say to him? I think I would say, um, probably the biggest thing would be, you know, live in the day, measure in the decade. So that's a phrase that comes from Morgan Snyder, where it's just, I think for me, it was always like pressure, time-driven. Let's try and get this done here. And I think in the process, 
I'd be so focused on the future or thinking about what's ahead that I would miss out on experiencing what was happening then. Mm. Um, and I think that's, and I think it, and then just even expecting sometimes just things to happen much quicker. And I, you know, I even go back to a conversation I had this week with my son Beckham and he's talking about things that he wants to do. And, and just, you know, I said, man, you know, you started like three months ago, like you're compared to where you were three months ago. That's amazing. And just, I'm like, give it some time. Like, and that's what I find both for myself and other people that I am around of just, I think, helping encourage people just to take more time. Hmm. So we close every episode with the same question. What does Jesus have to say about this topic? So the good news is, is Aaron and I answer it first, and then you get to be a good elder, you know, a good you know, C-suite person and clean up the mess. How does that sound? That's good. <laughs> you want me to go first or you want to? I'll let you call my trusty co-host. You go first this time. Um, you know, what does Jesus have to say about this topic? Um, so, you know, I don't know who came up with this, but, you know, they talk about two halves of life. And I think the first half of our spiritual life, we're so focused on the Ten Commandments, and that's actually needed. Like, you need the concrete, um, thou shalt not steal, honor your father and mother. But then there's another side that on the second half of life, you end up um, walking through uh, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are those who mourn. And... You know, I think the transformation of following Jesus Christ, why does success hurt my relationships? I'm not the the Ten Commandments are simple, but they're hard. The Beatitudes and what Jesus teaches about life are are hard. Like they're just it's not what does it look like to be merciful? And so, you know, in pursuing Jesus, you know, what you find is when you pursue mercy when you pursue truth and you pursue grace and you pursue those values it's not always as crystal clear except you begin to see the effects on your relationship and then all throughout this podcast i kept thinking about alexander the great where the story goes he conquers the whole world and he sits down and he cries because there's nothing left and you know we hear these cliches all the time you know that success is about you know getting up to the top of the ladder, realize you have the ladder against the wrong wall. And yeah. I think what Christianity does is it moves you from this concreteness, almost legalism to seeing life as a gift and seeing what God can do through the mercy and grace. I never want to walk through what I walked through in my twenties. Um, you're not that much older than me, but you know, that's when I experienced it, but you know, it's just, it was different, but I also know that there's something that God does in those valleys. You become more merciful. You become um, more patient, and God grows you in there. And that's why even this, what is success doing to you, you know, that's not even for you to answer. It's for the people closest to you to answer that for you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Peter. Um, and we know that you're the young in here. It's it's all right, Peter. We got it. Um <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, uh, there will come a time. That's right. <laughs> You'll get the gray hairs too eventually. Oh, I have them right now. Oh. My, my daughter loves to be like, daddy, your hair's, anyways, we'll say that. 
Um, no, I, I think, uh, Peter, I really appreciate you saying that. And, um, you know, when I, when I see the, the question that makes up this podcast, what, what are we centered around? Um, why does success hurt my relationships? You know, I think Jesus might ask if we have the right definition of success. Mm. Um, and I don't, I think that real success, uh, actually is very beneficial to our relationships, but the real success is not what the world always or often rewards. Um, whether that's in business, um, whether that's with big salaries or, you know, a, a lot of perks that come with that, or whether it's, you know, it could be, um, success in the creative world or, you know, having lots of, uh, you know, lots of Instagram followers or something, or, or there's all sorts of ways that the world can, can try to promise success, but I don't think that ultimately that's satisfying because we're not, we're not measuring right. Um, and the temptation is always there to, <laughs> to measure against those things. And so I, I just, I think that I can maybe gets back to what we were talking about with where is your self worth worth. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think Jesus would ask us, well, you know, <laughs> let's stop that question. Let's say, what are you defining as success? And, um, at the end of the day, I think we need to find that, uh, in him and how do we come to know him better and the values that he, uh, is, is pushing us towards, um, through, through the scriptures. So mm. I love that you brought up the Beatitudes too, by the way. So yeah. Mm. All right. Clean us up. <laughs> um, well, it's, I think you guys have both great perspectives. I think where I go to immediately when I, when I see the word relationship is I just go back to really the, the beginning of the Bible where, you know, if you just look at God, you know, God, Father, Holy Spirit, and Jesus, just just that relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that carries down in terms of Adam and Eve and looking at the uh, marriage structure. And I think one of the most important concepts that I think Jesus reinforces really in the New Testament, but throughout the Bible is just the importance of relationships and people and what that looks like. And I think, you know, kind of Aaron, where you were going is, you know, I think um, there's all sorts of things that get in the way of that success, selfishness. I mean, you can fill in the in the list of all those things. And that's where I think, you know, your question to me about, um, you know, is kind of around like, OK, what should we be aiming for ambition, those kind of things? I mean, um, and even just the way you responded to Peter in terms of, you know, that's that's probably a better question to be to have my family here and ask like, okay, as, as daddy gets more successful, what's that look like for you guys? Mm -hmm. Like what's, what's the impact on those around you in terms of as you're more successful or just in general, like regardless of your success, that's a really great question. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, you know, as my wife and I look and we talk as a family, um, about, why we love Rochester and how we can like Rochester so much better than having lived in Denver and San Diego and all these other places. You know, we talk regularly about that and I'm in a position now where we could move and work from anywhere because I'm remote and my family's very clear. They're like, we're not moving, you know, we're here. Hmm. And as we, as we unpack why it's not because we have 300 days of sunshine a year. You know, it's not because of, you know, these it's because of the relationships that we have mm. of that, why we're here and why we don't want to move. So I think that's really key. That's awesome. 
So for our, <laughs> our, our listeners to know, Rochester is a pretty awesome place. Those who aren't based here, right? That's right. The the hashtag ROC five eight five. We might be adding a zip or a area code. I don't know if you saw oh, that. No, I didn't um, see that. Anyways, um, so the winner circle, your chapter thirty or three. I'm not sure. Thirty three. That sounds good. It's in there. <laughs> and he's the only author on there that is both an athlete, coach, and entrepreneur. So mm. as the tagline says. So Matthew, where is the best place people can find you if they're looking you up online? Probably just LinkedIn. Okay. Yeah. And the best place for you to find us this episode um, is to go to whygotwhypodcast.com, click the subscribe button, and uh, you can get this podcast and many others. Thank you so much for joining us.